0: left corner to Agitla, Agitla the left circle, passing DL, a shot,
1: Save. made by Agitla's rebound, another shot, a score, the
2: play's winning. it, yes! Yeah!
1: Now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. All right,
2: this hour's underway. Happy Wednesday. It's April 19th, and uh, welcome to our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios, the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio with uh, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. It's Pat Steinberg, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon on podcast. And, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We've been talking all week. About the departure of a general manager and the opening of a general manager position in this city. And I guess we should keep talking about that because the search for a general manager is on. Although, what's your vibe? Does it it feels like it's still in the very infant stages of a search? Like it feels like there's still some smarting and some adjusting after Brad True Living's departure. And it feels like when Don Maloney said on Monday that he hasn't even really thought of candidates, I kind of take him at face value. It just feels like right now they're very, very, very early in the process and and are still kind of waiting to get off that first step.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. And it it vibes or, or jives with what we heard from Don Maloney on Monday, which was that the first priority had to be a deep dive as he put it into what went wrong this season. And I, I'm sure he's got some ideas bouncing around in his head in terms of potential candidates. When he held up his phone for us the other day and said, you wouldn't believe how many guys I'm hearing from. I'm sure he's made a list of those who have reached out that he's thinking, huh, you know, what about this guy's chops? Or I I'd really like to explore this. I I'm sure he's had some conversations with others, but as you said, I think this thing is right in the infancy stage. I think this is at the start line, yep. and I, I don't think that's reason for concern. That's exactly what we heard was going to happen. He, Don Maloney was set to have a meeting either yesterday or today with head coach Daryl Sutter. I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but I assume it has. I'm sure he's going to want to sit down with the various assistant coaches. I believe there's going to be some follow-up from those exit meetings calls to different players to say, Hey, let's dig in a little bit on this or what did you mean by this? Or what do you think the solution is to this? And and that's all very important and, and might actually frame or guide what you're looking for in a general manager in some ways. So yeah, right at the start line. And quite frankly, two days ago when we found out that Brad was exiting, I think that's exactly what we expected is that today there wouldn't be a a big update on the GM Elliot Friedman wouldn't be tweeting here's yeah. the short list of candidates I don't think they're even close to interviews or anything like that and and I wouldn't stress about it.
2: So we talked Tuesday about the importance of getting this right and I think that that is the number one thing this team needs to figure out and they said goodbye to a guy who did a lot of good things for this organization. And Brad was not perfect as general manager. There were some mistakes or missteps or, you know, swings that he probably would have wished he didn't take or uh, some moves that maybe he would look back on and said, no, that one wasn't a home run. But I think you and I are on the same page that, you know, did a lot of good things for this organization and, and they lost a very hardworking, astute, smart guy. So, you can do a whole lot worse, so make sure you get this one right. And I think it's important to do due diligence, make sure you consider all the candidates that are potentially out there in or outside the organization. But in saying that, they they do have a pair of internal candidates that are quite interesting, and those would be Craig Conroy, Brad Pascal are the two candidates that we're talking about as as potential internals now the reason why we don't include chris snow and i think it's i, I the, the health situation is what it is and and i i think chris and and everybody is aware of of the situation um i chris i believe is is part of the hockey op staff with don maloney going forward regardless so but but right now, just because of the the fight that he's fighting, where he is situated, and and as Don Maloney called him, as a super crucial idea guy, that's probably where it's going to stay. And and so we're talking about Brad and we're talking about Craig. And this is what Don had to say on Monday when he joined us here on Flames Talk about those two guys.
0: Craig uh, Connery who's been here a long time, uh, he's uh, would certainly be a candidate, and and as as would uh, Brad Paschal. Um, you know, they're both do. Good work, they've got experience, um, but it, it behooves us to look around and say, you know, we want great, uh, we want we want the best person for the fit for this team, but they are, you know, certainly on the
2: list. So, conflicting info out there about who has contracts on this hockey op staff for next year, who doesn't. Obviously, Don Maloney does, um, and...
1: Uh, I sure hope so.
2: Yeah, I would hope that... President of Hockey Ops until June 30th. It's a little hard <laughs> sighted I think um, that's
1: safe to say.
2: I think I've got a good handle on it, but I don't want to. I don't want to get too far into refuting other reporting or anything like that. Some guys do have contracts for next year. Some guys don't, and and that's I, I as far as I'll go on that. But let's get into the two guys that are internal candidates right now, and let's start with Craig Conroy. You wrote about him uh, on on Wednesday, so that's available now. You're writing about Brad Pascal for Thursday. There's a lot of buzz there when it comes to Craig Conroy and his candidacy as the general manager. This was Elliot Friedman with us on Monday.
0: I wonder about Conroy. Like, he's a guy who would love to be the GM of the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. He's been in that organization for a long time. I think he's going to get a long, long look. I do.
2: And he should. That was Elliot Friedman on Monday's Flames talk. His history with the Flames is more than 22 years old. Uh, March of 2001 is when he was initially acquired from the St. Louis Blues. So his love affair with the city of Calgary, the very mutual love affair with the city of Calgary, started more than 22 years ago. And he has essentially made Calgary home for the vast majority of the last two decades. There was a slight hiatus there when he was a member of the L.A. Kings. He was reacquired in January of 2007, so it's been more than 16 years consecutively with the Flames organization player uh, and now into management. His last game as an active NHLer was December 20th of 2010. He then officially retired and stepped into hockey ops where he's been ever since on February 4th of 2011, so that's more than 12 consecutive years on... Or in the hockey operations department, starting on Jay Feaster's staff and then the last nine years on Brad Tree Living's staff. He was our age when he started. Like he was 39 when he retired and when he started in hockey. Can arts.
1: I just jump in here? Because uh-huh. I'm 38 for a few more weeks and I'm like really clinging to it. And so let's just. <laughs> My point was he was almost very, our he age. Was he was, very was almost. Young. Let me have this, Pat.
2: I was more getting. I was very young when he started in hockey. Oh, operations. I get it. Spry. That's spry. It was spry and <laughs> and he's touched every part of the organization since joining the hockey operations department. I remember when he first started. I remember the day that he spoke to us uh, at the Saddledome announcing his retirement and also stepping into hockey ops and. I just remember it looked like, and I didn't know Craig as well at that point. Um, he had just started to realize, oh, that's the guy who takes the phone calls that I listen to every night because he's a masochist and listen to the phone calls even <laughs> as a player. But he, uh, I, I remember like it looked like his head was going to explode that day because he's retired and he'd come to that because it had been six weeks since he played his last game. So he'd kind of come to the realization that retirement was in the cards. But now it's like, okay, so I got to go to Europe in like a few days and I'm now I'm scouting and I'm am selling sweets and I'm I'm doing I'm trying to get season ticket holders to renew and I'm, now I'm also involved at the draft table like it was a baptism by fire for the guy going from being an NHLer to being in management in the snap of a finger.
1: We'll get into the serious stuff in a second but let me share a favorite yeah. story. And I, this was part of the, the column I filed today. And and if you haven't had the chance yet, it's up at both the Calgary Herald and Calgary Sun. So Craig Conroy announced his retirement and literally started in the Flames front office the next day. Yeah, And so he shows up for his first day of work, not really sure what he's going to do. And there's software called RinkNet. That's where... Most of the scouting reports are kept. You can you can go through. You can watch video. I'm sure it's much more sophisticated today than it was in 2011. But they gave Craig his login. Said this is RinkNet, and so he logs in and he thinks to himself, "I don't I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. Like I I don't know what I, I I don't have any reports to put in. I I don't know how this program works. And then it occurs to him. I know what to do. And so he typed in, and it's hilarious to hear him tell the story. He typed in his own name because he wanted to see what the Flames scouts were saying about him at the end of his career. And he will tell you with a chuckle that the Flames kind of saw this coming and they'd phoned RinkNet and asked for all of Craig Conroy's scouting reports to be removed from their database so that he couldn't find out, as he put it to me several years ago, who was ripping him at the end of his career. But that's one of my favorite. (laughs) Good. <laughs> Craig Conroy stories and you know I I recounted it today because I think it sets up what's happening now doesn't everybody in Calgary want to know the internal scouting report on Craig Conroy
2: okay well my belief was that he was still a competent effective NHLer what well, Brent Sutter did not see it the same way yeah there's the first time that I was like wow well, why why doesn't the coach like this guy like He was a good two way driver. He didn't put up a lot of points. He was still good in the face off dot. Uh, He was still good defensively. Even at the age of 38 and 39 on rolling one year deals, Conroy was still a good player. I I think he could have finished that season if he had a coach that that saw it the same way. Now, again, Brent Sutter's uh, won Memorial Cups and coached in the NHL playoffs. I have not. I have, I grant you that, and I. I am fully gonna say that. Yeah, Brent Sutter knows more about hockey than I do. One thousand, of course, he does. But I. I from the outside, I. I always felt like there was still gas in the tank and still effective gas in the tank with Connie as a player. And, and
1: I think it's important to note that, at least to my knowledge, he had three opportunities as his career at the saddle dome or, or his playing career with the Flames was. Clearly winding down, he'd been a healthy scratch. He'd just hit a 1,000 games, as you pointed out. He'd been a healthy scratch for a bunch in a row. He had three opportunities. Ken King really wanted him to stay in the organization and join the front office. He had an opportunity be- to become an NCAA coach uh, closer to where he grew up at, in New York State. And there were some who wanted him to go to the minors. I believe it would have been Abbotsford at that time. Yes. And he'll tell you today he didn't want to take the job from a young guy. And that tells you a lot about Craig Conroy. At that point in his career, he did. He loved playing and, and he mulled going down to the AHL and you know sort of being the grizzled veteran down there. But he didn't want to take a spot from a young guy who was on the up and up. And, and I think and listen, I don't need to come on the radio to tell you what a great guy Craig Conroy is. Everybody knows. But the fact that that's one of the reasons he moved into management, I I think is worth, worth remembering.
2: Well, and since he started more than 12 years ago, and I remember doing a, a, a big kind of, not, not quite a long read, but kind of a, a feature on him when he hit 10 years, uh, going back to 2021. And it was right in the middle of, of that bubble season. So, and it's that bubble season was a nightmare for everybody. So it's like, well, anything good, let's talk about that. Sure. And, uh, I just remember going through the history and and getting to the point where what he does now. So this was two years ago when when we spoke to him, but uh, his quote was this. We changed our audio system, so I couldn't go back and pull the audio. Um, So I have the quote. Um, I do college free agents, junior free agents, the draft. I get to work with Todd Button and his staff. I probably do about 35 to 40 of the top guys that we like. Really get in there and see those guys, which is fun. And that's how you make your biggest strides in the organization. On the pro side, I get to do free agency and work with the professional scouts. So literally like what hasn't he touched in the organization? And that's why there's such a hue and cry for Craig to be one of the guys they truly consider and give a long look. Um, he has done everything and the things that he has touched, he's been successful at the college free agents. They've done a really good job. Their hit right. The hit right there is strong. He and Brad true living really changed the drafting philosophy of the team and that's important because since 2015 when they were really able to when when Brian Burke kind of handed over the hockey ops keys after the 2014 draft to this new staff the drafting has been significantly different and has has been very strong their their late round hits whether it's Matthew Phillips or Dustin Wolf or, you know, if you want to talk about second round picks as later rounds, but Oliver Shillington and Rasmus Anderson and Dylan Dubé, like they they've done very good outside of the first round since Brad TrueLiving took over. and And Craig was a big part of that. He's done pro scouting. He's done junior scout. Like, if you're looking for the been there, done that checklist on top of familiarity with the market, Having a, a like being a face for the organization, an ambassador for the organization, which which Brad Truliving was did such a great job at. Like, I I think you've got a pretty ready made candidate there in Craig Conroy, and it's why it's why so many people on the outside, fans, media, hockey people, are like, is it not this guy's time? He's interviewed for GM jobs before. He's done everything in the Flames organization. He's more than twelve years into it. Is there a better time to make this promotion than now? And it's not like he's end-arounding. It's not like he was, you know, lurking in the weeds, waiting. He wanted Brad to come back, too. But Brad decided to move on, and now here's this opening. And finally, for the first time since he became a member of the hockey operations department and an executive with the Flames, there's an open door. I I just, why wouldn't it be his time?
1: And I think, importantly, unless something changes, which would be to my surprise, the the thing that you didn't mention, and I, and I absolutely echo so much of what you just said, the thing you didn't mention was he has a history with Daryl Sutter. He has a history as a player for Daryl Sutter. Very true. He's been on Daryl's top line. He's been in Daryl's doghouse. He's experienced everything in between. And so I have two questions when it, when it comes to Craig Conroy, because he does seem like such a perfect fit and he, and he's been groomed for this. He he has been looked to at the Saddle Dome as Brad Treliving's eventual successor. And so two questions. One, will he be able as the nice nicest guy in Calgary candidate that he is, you know, will he be able to have those difficult discussions that you need to be able to have between the GM and the head coach. Are, is there any worry that if Daryl Sutter and Brad Living's relationship had gone so sour that Daryl might not have the right amount of respect for a guy who's a rookie in that job? I think it's fair to wonder. That could be something that could work against Craig. And the other thing I wonder is if He is the next man up, and and I've believed for a long time he could be and maybe should be. Then why wasn't he handed the keys to the interim job? Why didn't they do something similar to what they did with Danny Breer in Philadelphia, where they said, "Okay, we think this is the next guy. We're going to do a full search. It, It doesn't make sense for us not to see who's available, but I wonder why. It's not Craig. And maybe the answer to that, and and I'll let you jump in here in a second, maybe the answer to that is Brad Pascal. Because everything that Elliot said about Craig really wants this job, I believe that to be the case yeah, with, with Brad. And so when you have two strong internal candidates, maybe that's the reason you don't give one of them the job. Maybe maybe you don't want to make one feel like he he doesn't have a shot at it. But Echoing all the things you've said about, you know, Craig's eye for talent, just the positivity that he brings to the rink, the rapport he has with the players, the way that he can relate to everything that they've been through, including what they're going through with Daryl. Those are the two questions I'd have.
2: The one thing that I will say before we get to Brad Paschal, because he, he is in this conversation too. Absolutely. And and want to make sure that we, because there's, there's a lot of, the, the resume is pretty cool for, for Brad Paschal as well. But when it comes to Craig, I, I, I know that he's got the aw shucks and, you know, like he's the good guy. I, I know for a fact that he can be a rather intimidating fellow when he's upset. And I, I don't worry about him pushing back on Daryl. I really don't. And if they give him a three-year contract that, that extends beyond when Daryl's contract extends... I, I don't think that that would be all that much of an issue. and I, I do believe that Daryl respects him. Um, and and I, I don't worry about that as much as for some on the text line maybe do. Uh, I think it's a fair question, but I, I don't uh, I don't I don't really think that's a big concern. I don't.
1: Yeah, and I hope from my standpoint, it didn't come across as any sort of lack of respect for him. I, I know Daryl Sutter respects Craig Conroy. I just I wonder as Don Maloney pours through the options, how strong of a presence he thinks he needs in that role. And we talked about it yesterday. Having Don, an experienced NHL GM, as president of hockey ops also helps. Also is yep. going to help big time in that case.
2: We'll get to the text line in a little bit. Brad Paschal has been the assistant general manager with the organization since May of 2014. And since the day he became AGM with the Calgary Flames, he has been their general manager at the American League level. So he has been, so since the 14-15 season, he has been the general manager at the American League level. So that has covered Adirondack, Stockton, and Calgary. So most of the time in Stockton, a little bit there in Western New York in that very strange couple of years where they were there. Glens Falls, Falls, baby. Uh, and then obviously this last year with the with the Wranglers. And that team has been a rather successful team, especially recently. The success has been off the charts. As we know, he was or has been instrumental in you know some of those coaching hires. Whether it was Ryan Huska, whether it was Mitch Love, he's been very, very uh, instrumental in putting in place some really good. And and Kale McLean, uh, how can I forget Kale? I just think of him as an assistant with the Flames, but he the the coaches that they've had in the American league have, have gone on to be pretty successful in their next steps. And now Mitch love is having nothing but success, just a two time coach of the year in the American league. So the resume at the American league level is strong for Pascal. And, and what I think a, a lot of people don't always remember because he's been with the flames for almost a decade himself is the hockey ops work he did with hockey Canada his i believe his last kind of like his his swan song at hockey canada which is also headquartered here in calgary was just winning the most dominant gold medal maybe in the history of the olympic games in 2014 where team canada probably could have beaten every team one nothing with their eyes closed and and sometimes they didn't win one nothing sometimes it was 3 nothing but go ask the swedes and the americans in the two most important games in 2014 how good that team was assembled and he was instrumental there so he's got gold medals at the olympics he's a three-time gold medal uh, general manager at the world juniors like his credentials at hockey canada are pretty sparkling on top of uh, a resume being a general manager at the american league level for almost the last decade so you've got a pretty good resume and a, a strong list of check marks on the Brad Pascal front as well, and has been very involved in team building and contracts. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a hotel to the hotel lobby at, at the draft before. Yeah. Have you ever seen Brad Pascal doing contracts at uh, like the guy is running? You'll, you'll see Pascal at the the media lobby or the uh, wherever the the team is staying, and he'll come up, shake your hand, say, "Hey, how you doing?" Oh, I got 17 agents to work, and he's he's <laughs> meeting with agents everywhere. And you're like, "Holy! I don't even want to get in Brad's way." He's so so. I I've seen him grind out contracts, and he's he's been doing a very similar job for almost the last decade.
1: Yeah, and I think he deserves to my knowledge, a lot of credit for some of those unheralded depth guys who have come up and done a good job for the Flames. He's, you know, he certainly was, like, Dennis Gilbert was a guy that he identified as someone who could help the Wranglers, but potentially help the Flames. Going back, Nick DeSimone is a guy that he identified as a guy who could help the Stockton Heat and potentially help the Flames. Now, those aren't those aren't the sexiest names that you're going to hear. But in addition to the fact that his Rolodex probably includes everyone from Sidney Crosby to Wayne Gretzky, thanks to his time at Hockey Canada, you know, he, he's found some nice depth depth pieces for the Flames as well. Yeah. And, and going back to the Hockey Canada part, to, you know, especially those those three Olympic gold medals that he was a part of, Salt Lake City, Vancouver, and Sochi in various roles, he's had an opportunity to not just rub shoulders, but be in meetings with some of the biggest name executives in hockey. And I think when he gets an interview, that's going to be something that he's going to really want to hammer home is a like, look at my collection of gold medals. I've been a part of a lot of winning programs, not, not Stanley cups, but I've been a part of a lot of, winning teams. And I can tell you about the lessons I've learned from that. And I think the other thing that Brad would likely want to bring up is, listen, I I've been in meetings with Wayne Gretzky. I've been in meetings with Steve Iserman. I've been in meetings with Kevin Lowe and and these guys have helped maybe shape the executive I am today. And, and he does, you, you put it really well. He has a fascinating resume. Yeah.
2: Doesn't he? Absolutely. Not a lot of guys that have a bunch of world junior gold medals as, as part of their uh part of their resume trying to apply for a, a general manager's job in the NHL. And look, we're talking about two internal candidates, and I've seen a bunch of texts that come in and say, well, no, they were part of Tree's regime. And they need a new, they need they need a new look. They need a new face, they need a new approach. I can tell you this, knowing both guys the the way that I do I mean they have different approaches and different ideas than Brad did that's why they were part of Brad's staff Living was very much like he didn't want a bunch of like-minded thinkers with him ha, even having talked to Brad about this before you don't want a bunch of yes men or like yes that's a great idea tree I offer no resistance to this that's how you build a bad hockey team you want guys that they say no I disagree, this guy's better, or that's a bad acquisition, or you shouldn't do this. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, having talked to Conroy n- numerous times on and off the record, I, I know this guy's got different approaches and, and different ideas to how he'd want to build a hockey team, and that doesn't mean that he was working against Tri living. No, you bring the ideas to the table, Brad's the guy. And he took them all under into account and then made his decision as the final guy. And I remember that same interview I did with Craig, as I referenced from a couple of years ago, the quote that he used was Brian Burke always told him, you know, it's better to be driving the bus than on the bus. And you, he, he wants to, he wants to drive the bus at some point as an NHL general manager. He's had the one finalist opportunity. He was there with Buffalo before they hired their second last general manager, not Kevin Adams, but when they brought in Botterill, yeah. Um, he was in the mix for that one. And I think that when I think the reason why Conroy's name gets mentioned first and foremost is because. He's been here a little longer than Pascal has. Um, and there is that... And he's higher profile. Exactly. He's, Brad would be the first one to tell you that. Absolutely. He's guy who put... He was part He's part of the 2004 Stanley Cup run and a huge part of it. He called Rob Kerr on overtime after Game 7 in Vancouver and it became lore, right? Like So there, that also plays into why he's the name that we go to first and so many people go to first.
1: Yeah, and I think... Yeah, I, I want to go back to what you touched on about the different ideas they bring to the table. Don Maloney is going to have a really good idea of what both can bring and, and what they offer. It's hard for us, and, and you and I both work really hard at trying to find out, hey, who's got their fingers in this, and, and, and who's responsible for this, and and maybe who is pounding the table for this draft pick or or whatever it might be. Don Maloney has been in the war room with these guys for the past, I think, seven years in Don's case. And so he he knows who pushed for what guy, who maybe wanted this trade made, who, who doesn't think that this player necessarily fits this role. He might be able to say, geez, you know, why did this guy push so hard for Kevin Rooney and it hasn't worked out? Why... You know why did this guy push for so and so and and Rooney's a negative example and I don't mean it in a negative way at all. I just mean Don is going to have such an a valuable insight into these two and it's why they're going to open this thing up and you're going to hear about assistant GMs in in other cities. You're going to hear about Scott Nickel and and you're going to hear about Eric Tulsky and, and you're going to hear all these names whether they're actually in the mix or not.
2: Horkov. Don Peverly, like there's all kinds of names up and
1: down the list. These guys are in a really unique and, and uh, potentially in a, a position to go get this job because Don already knows what they bring. Yep. He These guys have, have been auditioning without knowing it for this job for seven years with Don and, and even further than that, nine with Brad and 12 now with Craig Conroy. And so there's a book on these guys at the Dome, and, and it's why we heard Don say they're both strong candidate, candidates. And it's why I, I firmly believe they're going to get a look. Continuity is not necessarily a bad, bad thing. thing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Let me read you a few texts at 960-960 before we hit the round table. Uh, this says from uh, Trent, I'm back, McClellan. Uh, you get first on the text line. Uh see if this takes twenty two minutes to read uh the next flames g m has to meet with the owners first and ask if I want to make a personnel change at the head coach position, can I do that? if the g m doesn't have that power, then his hands are tied all season just like tre Livings were. why bother to take that job? The green light to do your job and trust your instincts is crucial fair and yet there's only thirty two jobs as a general manager in the n h l and and you know a, a lot of i think there would still be guys that would take it even if I don't think that's going to be the case or at the very least, I think it's crucial that that's not the case. If they allow that to be the case, they're shooting themselves in the foot before they even get off the starting line and, and that would be really really short-sighted to the Flames say no, you can't fire this coach and he gets to say no to whatever you say. Like, If that's what you're doing, what are you doing? And I think that's Trent's point.
1: It, it's why the interviews are, I think, going to be pretty crucial in both directions. If I'm a Candidate to be GM of the Flames, and for some reason, I'm not hearing back from them. I, I've i got some questions, and that's absolutely one of them. Yep. I want to know about the, I guess, the division of power. I want to know what the truth is on the power struggles that have unfolded. I, I have a lot of questions as a candidate to be GM, which I'm not.
2: Um, this says, would Conroy and or Pascal walk if they don't get it? I don't know. I don't think it's out of the question that, that one or both of them might go look elsewhere. If, uh, if that ends up being the case,
1: um, I, I think it's why the team, the organization needs to be careful with this. I know that Brad Trelevin wanted both back. If if he was going to be here, they were both a big part of his hockey operations staff, not only yes. in the past, but moving that forward. That is a thousand percent. Now they both have deep roots in Calgary. We're talking about two guys who have called this city home for 20 plus years each. But yeah, it's going to, you're going to have to be careful with this because here's what we know. Both want the job. Only one or potentially zero are going to get
2: it. Yeah. This says no outside candidate will want the job if they have to deal with a bulletproof coach. Um, And this says tough to see Treliving go, but if the Flames are actually going to change, bring in a new GM and crew from the outside. I'm kind of with Wes, though. I don't think continuity is always a bad thing, especially when you've got guys. Like, you're not just promoting somebody because they're there. You'd be promoting them because they have a good resume and know about the team, the market, and a whole lot more.
1: Just like you would think with a player, you don't want to see a guy that you, I don't want to say gave up on, but a guy that you had in your organization go somewhere and have success. And so you absolutely have to find out. And listen, talk, talk to everybody and weigh your internal candidates against who you consider to be the top external candidates. But you also don't want to find out Geez, five years from now, Craig Conroy is a GM in another city and doing a hell of a job, and you're wondering why you let him get yeah, away. Exactly, you got to be careful of that. And I'd say the same about Brad Paschal.
2: Uh, it's Patton West from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios. Worried about radon? They install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary. Daily Flames Roundtable time. It's uh, Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson. Now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us as well. The Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Don't miss the grand unveiling of the EQ lineup this Thursday at 5 p.m. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Just minutes. From the Calgary airport and uh, Derek joins us now as we kick around what I think is a rather important topic here going forward and uh, tip of the hat to Wes Gilbertson for suggesting this topic so I want to make sure credit is uh, given where it's due. So, gents, Don Maloney is, is currently undertaking a review of the organization. He said that on Monday in his introductory news conference as president of hockey operations. And really, we don't know what that's going to uncover. He said everything, management, coaching, players, scouting, all under review. So, gents, what is the uh, biggest unanswered question you'd want an answer to as the Flames undertake this review that we believe that they are in the process of right now?
0: Well, for me, guys, and just to echo what you just said, Pat, I think this is a really pivotal time for the organization. I think the decisions that are made in the coming days, weeks, maybe month or so, will not only impact this team next season, but for the next five to ten years. That's how important a time I believe this to be for the Flames franchise. For me, listening to what Don Maloney had to say on Monday – He talked about going through the exit meetings late last week and how he likes to take notes and then he likes to digest and kind of process things, not in the moment, but after he's had a little bit of time to to go through his notes and and think things through. So he said that. And then he also said that he was meeting with Daryl Sutter either on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. I think it's going to be really important for the Flames to process all that they heard from their players during exit meetings, because ultimately you've got you know five UFAs and one RFA this summer, but more importantly, you've got seven pretty high-profile UFAs at the end of next season. And decisions are going to have to be made as far as what direction this franchise is going to go in. I don't think there is any appetite at all to rebuild. So for those listening who want to rebuild, It wouldn't hold your breath. Could the Flames retool? I'm not sure they want to retool significantly, but they might not have a choice. If uh, most or all of those seven pending UFAs inform the franchise that they are not interested in signing long-term extensions, I think that puts the team in a tough spot and puts the team in a position where they might have no choice but to at least retool. So I think processing... Everything that uh, Don Maloney heard from the players during exit meetings last Thursday and Friday and deciding what to do with that is the most important thing that uh, the new president of hockey operations and interim GM uh, has to do right now.
1: I'm not going to do a, a, a masterful job of answering your question because you said the biggest unanswered question that this review has to uncover. And I, I could only trim it down to two. My bad.
2: That's, you know what? That's fair.
1: I I got these two. I want to know why so many players, and I think you're going to get into one or two of the individuals. I want to know why so many players underachieved based on their standard. I, I want to know why Jonathan Huberto had the largest point drop-off in NHL history. I want to know why it went so poorly for Nazem Kadri for the, the latter chunk of his first season in Calgary. I want to know why, Elias Lindholm and Andrew Mangiapane managed half the goals from last year. And maybe in Lindholm's case, it's a pretty obvious answer. And I want to know why the team save percentage, especially Jacob Markstrom's was so low. So that's I what I want to know if there's a common thread in why so many guys underachieved. And then on a more positive note, I want to know why the team was 11, 5, and 4 after the trade deadline. I want to know what Don Maloney's review uncovers in terms of why this looked like a team from March 3rd on that had in some ways started to figure it out. That 650 clip that they played at from the deadline on yep. would have put them in a playoff spot. And so I just want to know what changed there. And I think that's an important thing for Don as part of his review to uncover as well as, okay, Why did we start to turn the tide? It was too little, too late, and we all kind of know maybe why that was. But why did it start to turn? Those are the two biggest unanswered questions for me.
2: The two, there's really only one that tops my list, and it kind of it's it's a little bit uh, even smaller picture than the first question that you asked, and that is why didn't it work to such a degree with Jonathan Huberdeau? This season you just this is the biggest trade in franchise history and the biggest contract in franchise history. A guy who were not that far removed from setting a record for assists as a left winger in a single season for tying the outgoing guy in Johnny Gaudreau with 115 points for being one of the most prolific scorers in the NHL last year. Why did Jonathan Huberto have such a historic drop where he cut his points total more than in a half. He didn't even get to half of what he got to last year. And I'm not even trying to run Jonathan over, but that was the last year of a deal that paid him $5.9 million. He is about to double that almost next year. He will be making $10.5 million next year. He'll be taking up almost 10% of Calgary's salary cap next year. The number one priority between now and next season is figuring out how to unlock Jonathan Huberdeau closer to what he was as a member of the Florida Panthers. And I'm not talking about how do you get Jonathan Huberdeau to 115 points, because I don't think anybody believed that Jonathan Huberdeau was just going to be a 115 point player this year. But how do you get Jonathan Huberdeau to be a point-per-game player? How do you get him to be one of your main offensive drivers? Because, guys, he wasn't. Tyler Toffoli and Elias Lindholm were the offensive drivers of the team this year. And Nazem Kadri was their only all-star this year, and he was one of their drivers in the first half of the season before he had the massive drop. The number one question that I would need to get an answer to, or at the very least, get a feel on and a book on so that I could try to attack and approach and figure out for year two at the organization is why it went so wrong with Huberto. Was it just the headbutting with the coach? Was it just that he was on, uh, he, he was not fully over the fact he got traded? Was it just that the way that this team played doesn't fit his skill set? Was it all the the above and other things and Okay, what was the leading candidate, and which ones can you actually fix? That, to me, is the number one unanswered question, because we all have theories on the outside, but none of us really actually know what was the leading contributor to why this was such a disastrous first year as a member of the Flames for Jonathan Huberto. And I like the guy, and, and I want the guy to have more success next year, because I think he handled everything pretty in stride and as a pro and took ownership of it throughout. There was never a time where that guy made excuses this year. He said it all along. I need to be better. I know I need to be better. I'm blah, be- blah, 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 blah. So how do they make it so that he is next year?
0: Yeah. And he was one of a number of players who really took accountability. Uh, you know, I, I think there are different people who should shoulder some blame for the lack of success of some individuals and in turn, the lack of success for the team based on expectations for both. But it's probably hard to to fix things if you don't take accountability for whatever role you played in that. And I guess another question for me guys, and there were a handful of players who had career years led by Michael Backlund, who I think played the best hockey of his life this season. But, there were also too many players who didn't, at least in my opinion, play to their potential. So why? And Wes, you touched on that. Is there a common denominator as to why so many players underachieved by their standards and by the standards that we set for them? So, yeah, lots of questions to answer, and it's such a pivotal time for this Flames franchise. And I guess another question for me would be, Why did Michael Backlund and Elias Lintolm, and to a lesser extent, others, why do they sound so noncommittal as far as their future with this franchise is concerned? And can you fix that? Because if you take away two of the Flames' top three centermen, this is a lot different looking team. When I looked at this team at the start of the year, and even uh, earlier in the year, I thought, okay, one of the real advantages they have is the fact they've got Elias Lintolm, Nazem Kadri and Michael Backlund stacked one, two, three down the middle. I wasn't sure there was a team in the league that could match that as far as having three 200-foot centermen like that. But if you lose two of those three guys, you're probably going to have to change the direction that you're going in, especially if you lose them for nothing. So can you fix that? Can you keep them?
1: And maybe on the flip side of of that, and just to sort of dovetail with it, I'd love to hear what your core pieces moving forward, the guys you know are core pieces moving forward, the Rasmus Andersons, the Huberdos, the Uyghurs, the, you know, go up and down the list. I'd love to know what they think of the direction of this team and mm-hmm. and where it's going or or where it needs to go. It, it would be, man, to be a fly on the wall in those exit meetings would oh, yeah. be absolutely fascinating this year more than most.
2: It, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and you bring up the, the Lindholm backland stuff, Derek, and I think about it. I also think you need to, at the very least, and I don't know if this happens during this review because you've already talked to them and, and, but you need to figure out and they may not give you a straight answer. Like, it may not be in elias lindholm's camp's best interest to say yes or no we're not going re- re- to to give them the we're not re-signing answer you're you're an independent contractor teams treat you like a commodity so you get to be an independent contractor and and do what's best for you on the other side of things it's a business after all so if you're the lindholm camp and you feel like giving them a straight answer isn't in your best interest then you don't have to do it but if you're the flames you still have to be yeah, you still have to be okay making a decision as to what you hear, and if even if say Lindholm says, "No, I'm not gonna tell. I'm I'm not. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see." You have to be okay with. Well, we didn't get the answer that we're looking for. We're gonna give him this contract offer. We're gonna see if we can make progress, and if it doesn't happen, you gotta trade him. You like you have to be okay with doing that. You have to be okay even this summer, even if you don't get a black and white yes or no answer from him in maybe being preemptive and saying, we're not getting the vibes we like. We're dealing you to team X and we're going to try to maximize you right now. And, and cause I think having a full year of Elias Lindholm at that contract, you're going to get a haul for him. You got to be okay with doing that too.
0: Yeah. And I don't disagree with you, Pat, but don't you think that's easier said than done? I mean, unless they can make a hockey trade kind of like they did with Matthew Kachuk last summer, where, know, yeah, you're, you're giving up a really good player, but uh, in the case of uh, what they got in return for Kachuk, you're getting two really good players in return. I mean, if the flames and based on what we heard from John Bean and Don Maloney on Monday, they believe they're going to contend again next season. They believe that they were an underachieving team this season and they're going to fix it during the off season or do everything that they can to fix it during the off season. The flames are going to be right back to contending uh, for a playoff spot and, and, maybe winning a round or two or three next season. So if that's what they believe and they get off to a good start, I think it's going to be difficult to to make an in-season trade where you're shipping off one or more of your best players, period. Why you got to do it this summer. I I understand, but I, man, they are in a tough spot right now. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see how they kind of fight their way out of the corner. Hey, Brad true living did it last summer. Uh, we thought he was painted into a corner when it came to Matthew Kachuk. I still think he made a really good trade for the team, despite the fact that, uh, he didn't have a long lot list of teams to work with and didn't really have much time to, to make something happen there, but well, we'll see what they can do this summer. I mean, uh, like I said earlier, a really pivotal time for the franchise and, uh, like you guys, I would love to have been a fly in the wall during those exit mm-hmm. meetings, but I also think we have a pretty good idea of, of what was said by some of the guys.
2: Good stuff, Wilsey. We'll uh, we'll bring it down to one topic and just kick around one topic uh, for the rest of the month on the roundtable because, uh, well, there's no shortage of them. We want to give them each one a little bit more time. So uh, we'll do that again on Thursday. Thank you, pal. Okay, guys. Have a good night. He's Derek Wills. He is Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and we start to wrap this hour up. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Don't miss the grand unveiling of the EQ lineup this Thursday at 5 p.m. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport.